Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Help us to open our ears and our hearts to what you're saying to us, what you're communicating, and give us understanding in your word. Amen. All right, the scripture reading today is from Luke 15. Uh, I would encourage you just to listen to that if you want to look back at it, because you're going to get a chance to talk about it in just a second after I read this. Uh, but so Luke 15, and again, I'd encourage you to listen to this being read, and then you can turn there if you want to look back at it. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why don't you take a minute and just talk at your tables. What stands out to you? This is Jesus' response to the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. All right? So just what stands out to you? What point is Jesus trying to make? Go. Two minutes. We have a uh, Chevy Suburban, and uh, it's super, super great to have right now because of its incredible fuel efficiency. These gas prices that just, you know, it's fine, they go up, doesn't matter that much for us. Um, one of the other nice features besides fuel economy is it has a DVD player and a little screen that we put down for the kids in the back, and initially we're like, okay, we're only going to use this like when we're like going out of state, you know, but that's kind of evolved into anytime we need to keep them awake or it's just crazy, whatever. So recently we, at a yard sale, we got a copy of the sound of music. And so the kids have been, have been watching that and you're driving and just kind of listening to all the songs and, you know, the beauty of the music. And, you know, I haven't seen it in like, you know, 30 years or something since I was probably 10 or 12. And so, you know, the whole time you're like, you're, you're just listening to the whole thing. So you're hearing the story, kind of, you know, the story's being told in words, but also in picture. And so you're getting some of the story. And um, every once in a while, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll pull over, like, we'll, okay, we're going to stop and get some groceries or whatever. And I'll just, you know, kind of like lean back and like try to catch like a picture of like what's happening. Um, we're in this series right now. It's called Secrets of the Kingdom. And uh, in this series, we're going through the parables that Jesus tells in the book of Luke. And it's a little bit like what's, what's been happening in our car. Is Jesus is kind of giving us, he's opening something up for us to see. You know, we're, we're always, we, we know something, right? So I'm listening to the music. But this is a little peek back to see a little bit about what 
re, about reality, the fullness of the picture of what's happening in our world, in this universe. So uh, today, I want to I share a few thoughts about this parable. Um, now, Katie, this parable is one of three that are in a row, and, we, and it, you've kind of maybe already figured that out, that we're giving a lot of attention to these, because uh, Luke 15, this chapter, I think is hugely important, and these three parables give us such an incredible picture of the heart of God. So we hear this story about a, you know, a woman that loses a coin, and uh, from what I read, I think the coins are it's like equivalent to a day's wage, right? So fairly valuable. You know, you're talking about a whole day's worth of work in one little coin, and she loses it, and she immediately is like sets to find the one coin that she loses. She finds it, and she tells her neighbors, hey, celebrate with me. I found this coin. It's lost, you know. Um, the first thing that, that we see in this passage, and I think the most important, is that Jesus is taking this and saying, you know, similarly, this is what it's like in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus is telling us something about God. We're getting a little peek to see the fullness of the picture where we have some audio going on or just, you know, we, whatever, the fullness of who God is, Right? Jesus is saying that God is always looking for you. God will always look for us until we are found. Now, it's not like he doesn't know where we are. It's not a big game of hide and seek. Although maybe it is. Because what the game really is, is that we are hiding until we receive the seeking of God. God is always searching, pursuing, working, looking for us until we open our eyes to see him. Uh, and and I, would, I would just throw a thought out there. It could be possible that that is even happening on the other side. C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, got him in a lot of trouble with the evangelical crowd, which we are a part. I just think there's a lot of mystery there, and it's interesting to me that even in this passage, all the coins are found. Okay? I'm not trying to make some big theological statement. I'm merely giving a reflection and trying myself to have an open take when I come to looking at the Scripture. In this parable, all the coins are recovered. Okay? And the woman looks until she finds, right? It's just, just throwing that out there, okay? There's other passages. Obviously, Jesus talks a lot about hell, his judgment, eternal punishment. So I'm not throwing those all aside just to say, oh, look, well, look what this says. But as taking this on its own, God looks for us until he finds us. You know, just conversation at the table, uh, He's not happy until he has them all. It's not, oh, look, well, I've got nine. That one doesn't matter anymore. I got nine days wages here. So the one, ah, whatever, not a big deal. Another thought that came up at our table, just interesting, you know, uh, we live in a, in a disposable culture. Anita, shout out, okay? 
Single use is everywhere, right? We bought some snacks. We took a trip this weekend. And, you know, you open up the bag of fruit snacks and you eat them. And that little bag will go sit in a landfill for like 500 years after I've touched it once. And that's a lot of things. A lot of things in our life are like that. And I don't think it was that way in, in this culture. God is not single use. He's not. You know, one of the temptations uh, for me, just being personal here, in this transition is like, oh, well, I'm stepping out of this role, and so God is crumpling me up and tossing me away. Like, I'm kind of, I've, I've done what he wanted me to do because my life is about doing things for God, and so now that I'm not doing that anymore, and that's just not what we see in this passage. The coin has value to the owner of the coin. Now, another interesting thing just about coins, I mean, maybe this is just getting a little too crazy, but coins have value because we say they have value. It's not like a tool or like a, a, a piece of uh, like food. Like it, you can't eat it. You can't really do anything with it. And even if it's made of gold or silver, those metals have value because we say they have value. Now, of course, gold has certain properties that you can mold things out of, but it's, it's actually not that useful. I mean, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm limiting this to ancient world. I'm sure there's some technological uses of different metals that whatever. Okay, it doesn't extend forever, all right, the analogy here. But it has value because we say it has value, and it's the same for us with God. He has declared our value. It's not based on what we can do. And we're not single use. God is always pursuing us. Now, just, just this another statement. At the end of our lives, the last phase of our lives, that phase of retirement or kind of slowing down, still the same. It hasn't changed. Our value is not diminished even if our society would maybe argue that and, and want to say, well, they, they're, not, you know, they're not really productive anymore, or whatever that means. God values us because he values us. And that's why he made us. God's always looking for you. There's never, there will never be a time in your life where he is not pursuing you. And it has nothing to do whether you can perceive that pursuit or not. There's graces, times in our lives where we, where we perceive that. And I would argue that as we grow and mature, that we will have, that will be more of our perception will be attuned to the pursuit of God. That's really what this journey is about. It's learning to perceive his pursuit in whatever ways it's happening in that season of life. Now, second thing I want to I argue from this passage is, you know, Christians use this word grace a lot. What does that mean? Um, I was listening to a podcast this week by a, I guess you could call a theologian, pastor type of guy, runs an inner healing ministry, and um, he defined grace as grace makes us God's favorite. What the word grace means is it means that, that, that you are God's favorite. 
You're his favored one, his chosen one. Grace, you know, I've heard it defined unmerited favor. That just doesn't mean that much to my soul, at least when I hear that. But what this passage we hear in this is there's this incredible rejoicing over the one. And as the, as the Bible and Paul elucidates this meaning of grace, a, an undeserved gift, it's a communication that you bring a smile to God's face, that when he thinks about you, his, his face breaks out into a smile. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that there is joy communicated in this passage. So I've talked about earlier this year, you know, joy is the foundation of, of healthy attachment in life. It is sharing joy with people that bonds us to them. I was thinking about that this week, just, you know, what are the different ways that we attach in healthy ways? It's eye contact. When you look in someone's eyes and there's a sparkle in their eye because they're looking back at you and they're happy to be with you, sharing that joyful expression with them builds attachment. Um, play, right? Just any kind of play where we're, we're just enjoying things together. Um, appreciation, expressing appreciation to someone about something that they did or who they are, what that means to you. Um, so I just, it's so remarkable that in this passage even, it's communicating this incredible value that we have before God, um, as well as this, this joy that is what, what we are meant to be caught up into. So as we, as we talk about, hey, God is always looking for you, and his grace means that you're favorite, Hearing these words, the intent of heaven is that you would be caught up into the joy and celebration of heaven about who God is and about his, 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 his affection for you, that, that that is the journey of life. It's an awareness of what is happening in heaven, the heart of heaven, the celebration of heaven over just one sinner who repents. All right, I was trying to do this without notes, but I got to look. Sorry. So I, I mentioned the sound of music, and um, <clears throat> we were watching it, I believe it was last Sunday on our way home or something, and, you know, I was driving the kids around, and we get to the part where, you know, at the end of the movie, they're... The husband, the new husband, is like being drafted into the Third Reich, and he's got a report, and he's like, no way I'm going to do that, but if I refuse and just stay here, they'll kill us all, blah, blah, blah. And so they're like running away from the Nazis, and they're hiding, and at the end of the movie, they like escape into the mountains. And Flora, with this just big smile on her face, goes, they escaped from the Nazis, Dada, from the back seat, just like informing me of like what's happening because I can't see, you know? So just, you know, from a two-year-old, just telling me about the Nazis, they got away, you know. But, but that's, that's this place where she is full of joy at, at just enjoying this movie and at the climax or whatever resolution, I can't remember the right vocab word for the end of the story. You know, she wants to share that with me. And so she's kind of half laughing, half just 
smiling, just telling data, everything worked out okay, they escaped from the Nazis, you know? And um, again, like, it's just a picture of God and, you know, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are wanting us to share in that joy. Just as Flora is saying, you know, Dada, this is what happened, yay, like, things are good. Like, that is our journey in life, is, is growing in our capacity to share joy and enjoy what is happening in heaven and what's been happening within the Trinity from all eternity past. The sharing of joy and love. It's incredible. Um, It's interesting, you know, I read those first few verses in the chapter just so we could get the context again of what's happening in this passage and why Jesus is telling this story. And in a way, I think actually the Pharisees give away the heart of God in this whole thing because they make a declaration about Jesus. They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now they're saying it out of spite or to revile Jesus, and yet it's an incredible declaration of truth about who he really is. Here's all these other gods over here. This one God welcomes sinners and eats with them. This God welcomes sinners and eats with them. Guys, this goes way beyond a picture of a God who begrudgingly becomes a man so that he can strike him down and get all his anger out on Jesus so that he can pardon us and put up with us for a little while. Right? This is a God who is love who can do nothing but love. It is, it is 100%. His, this is his nature. This is a God who welcomes sinners, not just forgives, not just pardons. More than that, welcomes them. Oh, yes, yes, that sin thing, I took care of that so that I would know you and you would know me. And this we don't understand the import because we also have a weird relationship when it comes to food. We're very disposable. It's interesting how a lot of it is connected to food, right? Very, we have a very throwaway culture and we also have a very weird connection to food. If you were to show ancient peoples how we relate to food, which is just I'll just grab a snack on the way, I'll eat in the car, you know, I'll, I'll just casually, you know, snack on something while I'm watching a movie. In the ancient world, there was something sacred about a meal. And you did not eat with someone whom you did not want to be in a covenant relationship with. The, 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 the act of eating in this ancient context was an incredible expression of relationship, which is why the Pharisees are so offended. It's not like Jesus just grabbed some popcorn you know, at a stall on the side of the road and he's casually walking next to a prostitute and a tax collector and He's just snacking. No, 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 no. Like, the reason this is so offensive to them is because it is communicating an incredible welcoming to be together at table. 
Now, you could, you could argue that there is a piece of that in our culture. To invite someone into your home for a meal is, there's a sacred space still there that's going on. And it, it communicates, it communicates a lot of relational things. That's, I'm not trying to say it's totally gone. But this is the reason that the Pharisees are so offended, is because eating together was an incredible expression of connection, relationship, even covenant. I could, just, I could just go on. I mean, there's a million examples of this in the Bible. That's, that's an exaggeration. But isn't it interesting that, that, that then what does Jesus leave us as the, as the sacrament about his sacrifice? It's a meal, right? It's a meal to bring his people together to, 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 to have this sacred moment that we just partook together to say, hey, this is a family, Right? So what, what is our role in, in this passage? I mean, we see, we've seen that, hey, God is always looking for us. And he's always looking for us because we're his favorites, because he, he values us, because he loves us. He's always pursuing relationship for us. And there is joy in that for him. It's not drudgery. It's not like he's always, you know, wanting to just give us the back of the hand and get us on the right path. And gosh, he's lousy sinners. I can't believe I had to come and die on the cross and, you know, good grief. What a mess. It's just not his heart. There's this joy in heaven. He's welcoming sinners and eating with them. The only thing in this passage that I see as a response is just one little word to repent. And this word does not mean grovel and beg, and a hope, a hope and a prayer that God will receive me. Like the passage is trying to paint the opposite perspective of that. It's repentance, right? It's simply a turning, an opening of your eyes to see the one who is pursuing you. And it's an act of faith because sometimes we can't, oftentimes we can't perceive that pursuit, as I said. And saying, all right, Lord, I surrender. All right, Lord, adjust my direction, change my way of thinking. That's really what the Hebrew and the Greek communicate here. The Hebrew way of thinking is, is a change of direction, and the Greek is a, a change of thinking. It's, it's both of those things. So that we are opening ourselves up to God. Um, we had a wonderful weekend away. Brian Ocock treated us to some time with his, his family's cabin and we spent a lot of time on this lake, Silver Lake. It's a beautiful place. And the kids just, they latched onto the boats. Like, that's what they wanted to do. It was just like, they would, we would come back from boat ride, and it was like two seconds later, they were like in a boat, back on the lake. It's just like, that's what they wanted to do. And uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. If you've ever been in a canoe or, or a, I would say, a stand-up paddleboard, it's not so much a kayak, but you're constantly needing to shift your direction. Because, you know, you paddle on one side and then the boat starts to kind of go to the other way. So then you paddle on that side and then it starts to go to the other way. That's kind of what our life with Jesus is like, what repentance is like. It's just a continual awareness. Oh, I'm drifting over here. Okay, time to redirect. What am I looking at? This is where I'm going, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm seeing Jesus. He's my model. He's my picture for what I'm doing, for where I'm going. And I'm constantly, repentance is the constant shift. Now, in this series, we've been talking a lot about prayer, about, hey, 
In, in many of these parables, the foundation is learning to pray. And again, we come to repentance in this passage. And, and that's essentially, that, that, is, that is what prayer is. It is, a, it is a coming to God, an openness to God for him to redirect our lives, for us to see where we're going, to, to have a change of direction, a ch- to, for him to change our way of thinking and, and an openness and open a heart to him. That's really, and so the response today as we come to this is, hey, like there's a foundation of faith that Jesus is trying to lay here with the truth. And then there's a relational response that God is, is, is wanting us to give. So one step is to believe, and, and the other step is, is to lean into love, to lean into joy, to lean into relationship with him. To say, all right, Lord, I'm just going to stand on faith that you're pursuing me today, that I'm your favorite. Like, that's really how you look. You're not satisfied just with nine. You want all ten coins. I'm that one, you know? I receive that there's rejoicing today over my life. Anytime I repent, not just that one time for my testimony a long time ago, but anytime a sinner repents, anytime, anytime, rejoicing in heaven over any time that you repent, any time that you turn to God, that little prayer you threw out there, that, that little sense of, oh, Lord, I messed up. I'm sorry. Any, t- any turning, any adjusting of that canoe, any little shift that's putting us back, to looking at Jesus and opening our heart to him, to receiving his love, to asking for help, to perceive his pursuit of us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. All right, let's have the worship team come up. And so, again, I'm, I'm giving these one of two things here as we, as we close. And so, um, let me just pause for a moment here. So I think just maybe which one of those two things do you feel like God is highlighting today? Is it this foundation of truth and, and he's challenging you to believe something about him and his heart and about your own value? Maybe it's this uh, piece of kind of repentance and prayer. Like, oh, I know there's a way I need to redirect. And so I'm just going to open that up to, um, to you to put before the Lord. And we'll have the worship team, if you guys can go instrumental for like a couple minutes. And you're welcome to talk about this with others. Or if you'd rather have it just be private between you and the Lord, you can do that. So um, let's take a couple minutes and, and uh, just ask the Lord what it is he's speaking to you from this, of these two ways to respond.